And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. What a wonderful day it is. 2023. Whoever thought we'd make it. <laughs> it's been a great year, though. Like they've already been said, there's been some ups and downs in my life and your life and everybody's life that lives in this, on the face of this earth. But thank God there's coming a glorious day, one of these days, when Jesus is going to descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and everybody that's already passed from this earth is going to rise up and so shall we and meet him in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Isn't that going to be a wonderful day? Amen. You know, I, I hate to tell this, but I, I heard something about your pastor that I, that I need to tell you. I heard that he likes to go down to the nursing home. I don't know exactly where it is around him, but he likes to go down to the nursing home. And I heard he was down there the other day, and he was talking to some of the people in the nursing home. And about that time, a little old lady, about 90-something years old, rolled up beside him in a wheelchair. And she looked up at him and said, My, my, you sure do remind me of my fourth husband. <laughs> and Brother Charles looked back down at him and said, Well, ma'am, how many times have you been married? She said, Three. Three. <laughs> <laughs> And, and with that, he just kept, Brother Charles just kind of bent down and kissed her right on the cheek. She said, well, my goodness, where in the world did you learn how to kiss like that? Brother Charles said, siphoning gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> I love the freaking uh, pastors, don't you? I love it. I wonder if you got your Bibles with you this morning. I want you to open up to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, chapter 20. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 11 of Revelation, chapter 20. Now, ladies and gentlemen, as far as I'm concerned, this is one of the most frightening and sobering scriptures in all the Word of God. <clears throat> it's God's account of the final judgment of the lost sinner where every lost, Christ-rejecting sinner will be summoned to stand before the judgment bar of God. Now, folks, there's not going to be any saved people standing in this hour of judgment. A lot of people want us to believe that when we die, we're going to stand out there on a great big old pair of scales, and God's going to put all our good works over here and all our bad works over here, and then He's going to balance those proverbial scales to see whether you're lost or saved. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is a pagan idea. The Word of God plainly says there's going to be a judgment of the saved and a judgment of the lost. So we're going to look today at the judgment of the lost. Everybody there lost and headed for hell. Let's see what it's going to be like out of Revelation chapter 20 and verses 11 through 15. The Bible says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in them. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second judgment, a second death. And whosoever, now watch this, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now I want to show you four simple truths about this passage of Scripture and I want us to look at them in the same order in which they come. First of all, I'd like for you to notice the unveiled face. The unveiled face. Look what it says. It says there was a great white throne and there was one sitting on the throne and he's specifically mentioning the face. And this face was of such magnitude, my friends, that the Bible says they tried to hide from it. In another portion of the book of Revelation, they prayed for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them and to hide them from the one that was sitting on the throne. So the very first thing that's going to happen at the judgment bar of God is that God is going to unveil the glory of His face. Now, folks, you might say, now, preacher, what's so bad about that? Well, folks, here's what's so bad about it. The Word of God says nobody's ever seen God's face. I've never seen God's face. You've never seen God's face. No living being has ever seen the unveiled glory of God's face. Now, the book of Exodus says that Moses talked to God face to face. But friend, if you look at that word face in the Hebrew language, you'll see it's a word that describes a person. So actually, Moses talked to God person to person. It was kind of like these old phones we used to have. You could pick up and you'd have a party line. You remember? And you'd pick it up and you could hear the voices on the other end. And you'd sit there. That's what he's talking about. He talked to him person to person. One time Moses came to God and he said, God, would you let me see your glory? And here's what God said to Moses. And I think it's one of the most remarkable passages in the Word of God talking about God's face. It's in Exodus 33:18. if you want to turn there. If you don't, you can just follow with me as I read it. It's in Exodus 33:18, <laughs> And Moses said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. That's what Moses said. God, let me look at you. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And I will be gracious to whom I shall be gracious. And I shall show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. And then in verse 21, and the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and thou shalt... And it shall come to pass while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. Now notice these very interesting words. And I will take away my hand and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Now you know why God wouldn't let Moses look at his face? You know why God wouldn't let you look at his face? You know why no living person has ever seen the unveiled glory of God's face? Because God said, Moses heard God say, if you look at him with your natural eye in his unveiled, unveiled glory, you would die. You'd die. Yeah. I remember when I, 
I first started preaching. I was preaching in a little country church not far from where I lived. Like most preachers start out in little country churches. <laughs> but uh, I was just preaching away on the fact that nobody's ever seen God's face. And like we do, we don't want to drive that point home. I would say, nobody's ever seen God's face. No, nobody's ever seen God's face. Now this is before I realized you just don't ask a lot of questions when you're preaching because <laughs> in, <laughs> invariably somebody has the wrong answer and there you be. Boy, but in my newfound whatever I had at that point in time in my ministry, I just said, now, has anybody in this place ever seen God's face? Just raise your hand just like this. And a little old lady sitting all the way back in the back of the building, one of my best members usually slept through the whole sermon, but hearing that commander, raise your hand, want to vote on whatever we was voting on, raised her hand like this saying, I've seen God's face. And there I was. I didn't know what to do. Nobody else knew what to do, so I just kept right on going. But nobody's ever seen God's face. That's, not what, that's what the Word of God says. Nobody's ever seen God's face. No living person has ever seen the unveiled glory of God's face. Now, if we go and we look and we look and we look, no person, nobody has ever seen the unveiled glory of God's face. So ladies and gentlemen, listen. The very first thing that scriptures say is that there's going to be an unveiled face. Isn't that going to be amazing? Just think about it. Now I want you to know the second of all, there's going to be uncovered facts. Now we're going to get in the thick of it here in a minute. There's going to be uncovered facts. Look what the Bible says. And the books were opened, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in those books. <clears throat> now, ladies and gentlemen, I believe those books have all the sins of all the men and women on earth who've never been saved. And I believe if you're here today and you've never been saved, I believe your name is written in those, your sins is written in those books in heaven. And the Bible says those books are going to open and out of the record of those books are going to come monster-like things to accuse the people that stand before them. Now, I want to show you some of those things that are written in those books. First of all, words are in them. You know what Job said, or Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, he said that man shall give an account for every idle word that he's ever spoken. Every idle word that he's ever spoken. Folks, I believe like a giant tape recorder, all those words are going to come spewing before man's eyes, and he'll hear every vulgar joke he's ever told, every malicious gossip he's ever spread, every vile and vulgar and ugly word is coming out at the judgment bar of God. In 2010, a couple of preacher friends of mine were down at, in New Orleans. They had the... the Southern Baptist Convention down there that year, I believe it was. But that morning, one morning, we got up early and we were walking down. We were standing right there on Canal Street. Am I knocked that over? We were standing right there on Canal Street, and so we're walking down Canal Street because the convention is held in that convention center right there on the river. <clears throat> and so we were headed down Canal Street, and I had this thought. I said, why don't we just stop and get us a cup of coffee and sit down at one of these tables on Canal Street and just talk and look. 
just listen. We've got plenty of time. And so we did, and I went out and got my coffee. And on the way out, I picked up a copy of the Times Picayune. And so I got to the table, and I was sitting there. And when I opened that paper up, right up in the upper right-hand quadrant of that paper was a little bitty article, not very conspicuous. It was about the Watergate tapes. And here's what it said in essence. It said in the very near future, and it's already happened, <clears throat> that all those Watergate tapes that were on tape, 12 and a half hours of Richard Nixon's words are coming out, and these boys and girls and men and women will be able to go into a public library and check out 12 and a half hours of Richard Nixon's words. That's a little over half a day. And I got to thinking about that, and I said, you know, little did Richard Nixon know that in the future, every lie, every innuendo, every curse word, everything he said were coming out on tapes for everybody in the country to listen to. And I got to thinking about that. I said, we got 12 and a half hours of Richard Nixon's words on tapes. That's a little over half a day. And I said, you know, God has got every word, every curse word, every lie, everything that's ever come off a lost man's lips, and he's got them down in the book of, in the in, 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 in the books, and he's gonna come spewing out at the judgment bar of God. We got that twelve and a half. Can't you imagine what all of a day that's gonna be? Can't you imagine what it's going to be like when you stand before the judgment bar of God and God says, all right, mister, we're going to hear your words. <laughs> and those words come spewing out like monsters to accuse the people that stand before them. But now watch. Not only words, but thoughts. Job said in, in Job 42.2, he said, I know that thou can do all things, O God, and no thought can be withheld from you. My dear friends, God sees your thoughts. God sees your thoughts. Now, folks, listen. We got a lot of preachers today that preach that it's just as bad to think about something than it is to do it. Now, I don't believe that. I don't believe Jesus taught that, and I'm going to tell you exactly why I don't believe it. I'd lot rather somebody think about killing me than killing me, had you? I'd rather somebody think about slapping me in the face than slapping me in the face, had you? So Jesus never meant to say that the consequences of thoughts and deeds were the same. But now, folks, here's the truth of the Word of God. While the consequences may not be the same, according to the Word of God, the guilt is the same. And that's why Jesus said, whosoever is angry with his brother is guilty of murder. And whosoever lusts in his heart is guilty of adultery. And so at the judgment bar of God, those books are going to open and all those thoughts are going to come parading before a lost man's eyes. I just wonder, I just wonder if I could come over here somewhere and get out of the way and do like that and a great big screen would just fall down from wall to wall, all the way to the floor. And I'd come over here and I'd get up that top of that white screen with some kind of marker and I'd write Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 
And then I'd come back over here on the Sunday and I'd write the word, the thoughts of every person in this building had last Sunday on the board. Every thought they had for last Monday. Every thought last Tuesday, Wednesday, and on down the line. And they'd be plastered on that screen for everybody in this building to see. I wonder what would happen. I wonder what would happen. I'm telling you what would happen. Bless God, this place would quickly empty. <laughs> and you and I would be right along with the ones who helped empty it. I'm telling you, my dear friends, our thoughts are ugly. Our thoughts are vile. Our thoughts are perverted. And the Word of God says at the judgment day, every single solitary word, every solitary thought is coming out at the judgment bar of God. Now watch. Not only words, not only thoughts, but deeds. Deeds. Folks, being a traveling evangelist, I get to meet all kinds of people. I've met them all. I've met big ones, tall ones, short ones, black ones, white ones, yellow ones, pink ones. I've met them all, is what I'm trying to say. And sometimes I look at the fella and I say, Lord, you know, that's the finest, that's the finest person I believe I ever met in my life. I mean, they got all the marks of being a fine, <clears throat> saved, born again, spirit-filled child of God. And I say, God, that's the finest Christian I believe I ever met in my life. And yet their heart may be as ugly and vile as sin. I was in a revival meeting in Tishomingo, Mississippi, up north Mississippi, close to Memphis, Corinth, Mississippi, up in that area. And I got there on Sunday. Well, I got there on Saturday and met with the pastor. Never met him before. I met with the pastor. He told me everything we needed to know. And so I preached Sunday morning, Sunday night, and all the way through Wednesday. We had a great revival. Church was revived in the name of Jesus. Folks were getting saved. We closed it out on that Wednesday evening. He wanted to extend it, but I had to get back and go to another meeting. And so we were standing back there talking and carrying on, and I drank my coffee with him. And I was going to drive back, and so I was going to leave and drive about halfway and get up the next morning and do the rest of it. And so I got back, and I was doing my deal and going here and there. And I got a letter about two weeks later <coughs> from the church secretary. And here's what it said. Brother David, we appreciate you coming to our revival. It's the best revival we've had in years. And then she went on. And she said, Brother David, I want you to be in prayer for our pastor. It has all come out that he has been involved in an immoral relationship with a lady in a church. And she's even born his illegitimate child. And I thought, dear God, I didn't know that. The church didn't know it. The deacons didn't know it. Nobody knew it, but I'm telling you folks, God knew it. And one of these days, at the judgment bar of God, all those thoughts are going to come parading before a lost man's lips. Isn't that going to be something? He's going to see it. 
I believe, I believe things are going to happen. Somebody might say, what, why in the world is he going to open up the books? Somebody else might say, well, I believe he's going to open up and see if somebody's name's in there. <laughs> Don't you think that sounds kind of absurd? To think about the omniscient God of heaven yeah. having to turn in a book to see if somebody's name's in it? Yeah. You think God's got to be like a little school child to see if somebody's name's written in a book? No, folks, I don't believe that's why God's going to open up the Lamb's Book of Life at the judgment bar of God. But I believe this is the very reason. I believe this is the very reason because in the seventh chapter of Matthew, Jesus prophesied these words. In that day, the judgment day, ladies and gentlemen, in that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied? You know what that means? That word means preached. Have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out devils, performed exorcism, ladies and gentlemen? And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then Jesus said, I will profess unto them, depart from me, you that work iniquity, for I never knew you. Folks, I believe at the judgment bar of God, at the judgment day, there's going to be folks actually disputing the authority of God. There's going to be people actually arguing with God. <laughs> They're going to lift up their voice and say, now look here, God. Look at all I've done. Look at all my good works. Look at all the sermons I've preached. Look at all the songs I've sang. God, look at all the people I've led to Jesus. Look at all my good works. And I believe God is going to look at the angel and say, would you look up that man's name, see if that man's in the book, look and see where it is. And I believe with all my heart, mind, spade, and, and uh heart, mind, body, and faith that Jesus is going to look him right square in the face and say, Mister, your name is not in the book. Your name is not in the book. And folks like an accused criminal sitting on the guilty stand and denying his guilt, and all of a sudden <clears throat> the prosecuting attorney rises and gets the murder weapon and he carries it and he holds it before that criminal's face and says, Mister, Here's the murder weapon, and it's got your name all over it. And then that criminal drops his head and confesses his guilt. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the reason for the Lamb's Book of Life. So the lost sinner can know his name is not in the book. His name is not in the book. Listen to me today, folks. If you die lost, if you die lost, and you stand before the judgment bar of God, I promise you on the authority of the blessed Word of God, there'll be no recourse for you. There'll be, there'll be another chance, another word, nothing else. And you're going to be cast into a body of fire that burns with fire and brimstone forevermore. That is the Word of God, my friends. That's the Word of God. Now notice thirdly, the unreal faith. Let me say it to you again. The unreal faith. Folks, you know as well as I know. You've seen a lot of unsaved, unconverted church members get saved, haven't you? I'm here to tell you this morning, we have got a lot of lost people on our church rolls today. I stood in... Bentley, Louisiana. It's a little bedroom outside of Alexandria, Louisiana. And I preached, gave the invitation, and down the aisle came this big old preacher boy. 
He told the pastor, I was standing right there with him, and he told the pastor who was there, he said, I surrendered to preach about two years here ago, two years ago here in this community, and he said, every time I stand to preach, it's like God brings my finger around and says, you're the one, you're the one, you're the one. He said, I'm coming today to tell you that I'm lost and I need to be saved. And that old big preacher boy got saved. I stood in Cushata, Louisiana and preached at the First Baptist Church of Cushata, gave the invitation, and an 85-year-old lady came down the aisle. You know those walkers they have? Came down, they got tennis balls on them. I shall never forget. I shall never forget the sound of that thing coming down there. And she stood here. She said, Brother Pastor, Brother David, I've been a member of this church all my life. She said, I've been teaching Sunday school here for 65 years. She said, I know all about the Bible. I read it through. I've been teaching it for 65 years. <clears throat> but she said, I'm just as lost as lost can be. And Miss Lily Bell Clemens, she's been gone with the, into heaven now. But Miss Lily Bell Clemens, Got saved that day. We uh, baptized her about two, the pastor did about two weeks later. He said it took three of them to get her in the baptistry. I preached in Oak Grove, Louisiana. Gave the invitation. And a nice looking guy dressed in a nice suit and tie walked down the aisle. She said, Brother Pastor, I'm the president of the bank here in Oak Grove, Louisiana. And he said, when I first moved here, the deacons of the church came to me at my office and said, we want you to be on our deacon body. They didn't ask me if I was saved. They didn't ask me anything about my family. All they wanted is me to be on the prestigious body of the deacon body. And I said, bless God. He said, bless God. I'm coming this morning to tell you that I'm just as lost as lost can be. Now what if, what if Miss Lily Bell Clemens had died before that? What if that banker had died before her salva- uh, his salvation? What if that preacher boy had died before his salvation? I'm telling you what if, and you know what if comes true a lot of times. I'm telling you all three of them would have burst the gates of hell wide open. Why? Because they were carrying an unreal faith, an unreal faith. That was unreal. It happens, my friends, and it happens all over the country. Now watch. There's one other word, and frankly, I wish I didn't have to talk about it. Not only the unveiled faith, face, the uncovered facts, the unreal faith, but watch this one now. The unceasing fire. The unceasing fire. Look what it says in the Word of God. I'm going to read it real slowly where you can get the full gist of it. And whosoever was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was what? Cast. Bodily hurled, my friends, into the lake of fire. Ladies and gentlemen, we live to see a day of intellectual sophistication where we, have, we, where we no longer have a lot of preachers who believe in the reality of devil's hell. But I am telling you, and I'm here this morning to tell you, 
that hell is real. Hell is just as real as you're real. It's just as much a place as this auditorium is a place. And it's just as alive as we're all alive today. And every person who does not have their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life will spend an everlasting eternity burning in the lake of fire. That, my friends, is the Word of God. That's the Word of God. I always had words strong enough to tell you what it's going to be like, but I don't even know. I was up in Birmingham, Alabama. Well, actually, I was about 20 miles out of Birmingham, Alabama. You know, they call Birmingham the little Pittsburgh of the South. And uh, I was up there and closed the revival down. The deacon was going to carry me to the airport there in, in Birmingham. And we were driving down that interstate. I can't remember where the interstate was. It may have been 30. I, I don't know. But anyway, we were driving down there. I began to notice these gigantic, big old dump trucks. I imagine they were wide as this part right here. And I said, Bicky, what do they do with those big old dump trucks? He said, you watch in a minute. We'll get up there and you can see. He said, what they do, <clears throat> they go out in these hills and these little mountains around here. And they dig up this iron ore type of rock. And they dump it on the big rocks on that, on that dump truck. And about that time we got up there and you could see that dump truck, it would back up to a great big conveyor belt, probably about as wide as this. And they would dump those big old rocks on that conveyor belt. And it would go up there. <clears throat> and you could see it go behind a wall with a flap on it. And it would go in there. And he said, what happens when it gets in there? It drops into a great big bat, probably big around as a football field. Long, round. And they put chemicals in there. And those big old wine old rocks drop in there. And then they turn the heat up under to 6,000 degrees until those rocks become molten, bubbling, oozing, uh, molten iron stuff. I said, my goodness, Biggie. How? He said, what they do, Brother David, is they, they have to have a special kind of apparatus to work, work around that flame. It's so intense. And they, it's like a space chute. And they put that thing on. And they got a little helmet and a little line that runs behind them and runs back there somewhere to an oxygen port where they can, you know, breathe around that heat because it just zaps all the oxygen out of the air. And he said, one time there was this guy working around that vet and he got over there pretty close and he was punching the buttons and things they have to do on that thing. And he got hung up in that line that runs behind him and he fell headlong into that bubbling, oozing, molten iron. And being an inquisitive fellow like I am, I said, well, how in the world did they get him out of there? <laughs> he said, son, they didn't get him out of there. Well, I said, well, how'd they get his bones out of there? He said, Brother David, they didn't get his bones out of there. And he went on to tell me that a lot of times you could take a brick and you could hurl it out over that bat and it would just bust open in the flames just like that from the intensity of that heat. And I got to thinking about that. And I said, you know, a man with a little old bitty mind designed that, play, that bat with that, all that iron and ore and that stuff. But the God of the universe designed a place called the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone forevermore. 
And every person who does not know Jesus as they're born, has been born again, and knows Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior will spend an everlasting eternity burning in the lake of fire. But you know what? They're not going to burn up. They'll hear everything they heard on earth. They'll hear every sermon. They'll hear every prayer. They'll see every time they had a chance to get saved. But it'll be too late because they'll be burning and burning and burning in the reality of a devil's hell. Won't that be a horrible day? Now I want to ask you this morning. Now I want you to answer and be truthful with me. I want to ask you, has there been a time where by faith that you've received Jesus Christ into your heart and you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that if you go if you leave this earth today, you died today, that you go to heaven to be with Jesus? Or do you have this? Every time you lay your head down on your pillow at night, you know that if I died before the sun comes up in the morning, I'd burst the gates of hell wide open. And you know it. I knew it. I believe every lost person knows they're saved that they come under the convicting of the Holy Spirit. I knew it. Every person knows. My question today is, are you running from Jesus? Do you need to be saved? Has there been a time that you can go back to I'm not asking you to, to name the date and time and all those things, but I got saved in 1980. I don't, I'm, I don't remember the month. I think it was in the hot summertime, probably July. But I can go back to that. Can you? Has there been a time that you've accepted Jesus in your heart and you've been saved? If you can't say that, folks, then I'm going to ask you this morning to get up by an act of faith, walk down this aisle. Your brother pastor will be standing down here. Take him by the hand and say, Brother Pastor, I've been playing with Jesus for years and years. I was just like little Bell Clemens. I want to come to Jesus today, and I want to firm it up, and I want to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that if I die, I'll go to heaven to be with Jesus. You say, you can't, you can't know that for sure. Well, I beg to differ with you. The Bible says, these things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life. I want you to get up by an act of faith. Walk down this aisle. I want if you bow your heads with me, please. Our heads are bowed. And our eyes are closed and no one looking around. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, now is your time. Our Father, I pray that you'll take this invitation time, convict people of their lostness, convince them that they need a Savior, and Lord, save people this morning. This is yours, O oh God.
This is your time. By the sweet Holy Spirit, move. Oh, God, we love you. We thank you for what you're going to do during this invitation time. We give you all the glory and honor and praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want you to stand with me all over the building. Please stand.